Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. I'm Dr. John Herding. I'm here with Coach Rob Rubina. How are we doing? Dr. Nick Pergini. Hey, guys. And Dr. Ray Carr. How's everyone doing today? Today we're going to talk about agility training. It's an often debated topic um, that we, you know, and it's um, something that we deal with on a daily basis as therapists in return to play protocols. And Rob, as a strength coach, I'm sure you're using it daily just in training your athletes to make sure that they're prepared for sport, right? Yes. So being the strength coach, um, and you deal with this maybe a little bit more often than we do, we're going to let you kind of start this off and give us some of your thoughts, and then um, we'll kind of run from there if that's okay with you. Yeah, I'll get the ball rolling. Um, So I think first we have to identify and define what is agility training, right? I think that's the first thing. Because a lot of people have an idea of what the definition of agility training is. So my definition and how I train it and think about it is pretty much the ability to react to a stimulus and, you know, move after that stimulus. Pretty much react to something and then move in a different direction. Um, So having said that, when the definition is the ability to react to a stimuli, which can be a ball, a sound, you know, um, a person, um, a stick, you know, whatever it might be, um, you have to be able to, to, to be able to change direction based off that stimuli. Um, so when we look at the ability to then change direction, we have to look at what's required of the joints to be able to change direction. Obviously, we need adequate joint range of motion of ankles and, and um, you know, hip range of motion to be able to, to make a cut and change direction, whether going forward, left, back, turn, you know, turning around, uh, whatever it might be. So that's the first box that's often overlooked when trying to train agility is like, hey, your ankles are really tight, you can't achieve shin angles, um, then your quote-unquote agility mechanics are going to be bad. So first thing in my box is, hey, let's make sure our range of motion is is there. Um, Second thing is you also have to be strong to be able to change direction. More specifically, eccentric strength has to be there. So if you don't have proper eccentric strength to be able to decelerate yourself, and then obviously push off, um, you know, you're gonna be slow changing direction. So getting lower body eccentric strengthening exercises uh, and just strength in general will will help with someone's ability to change direction. Um, So those two things are just as important as, again, training the ability to react and change direction. So some things that I I do to give someone kind of external reaction are a lot of different things. I mean, we've probably done all these drills and exercises in gym class or playing recess or, you know, whatever other, you know, area you grew up doing activity in. Um, one of the most popular ones is like red light, green light, right? Um, so you can do any different types of movements. I commonly will say we'll do, say, sprinting and backpedaling, right? You want to change the ability to go forward and back and you can do sprint on green back pedal on red so the coach calls green randomly calls red the athlete has to listen for red or green and react to those colors being called um, those are the only instructions being given the other instruction would be to 
do this as fast as humanly possible because changing direction in a game always happens at full speed. So doing any agility drill at low speed or low intensity is, in my opinion, kind of a waste of time. Um, so if you're training agility, you know, very similar to sometimes training speed, like you want to get fast, like sprint fast, you want to have good explosiveness and good agility, um, do exercises as fast as possible. Um, there's a lot of other variations of different exercises that I like to do, but going off the sprinting and backpedaling, we'll, we'll stick with that variation first. You could do points, right? You could go colors. You could go random colors. So I'll say still sprint on green, backpedal on red, and then disregard every other color. So what that ends up being like is sprint on green, I'll say orange, and then yellow. And the athlete continues to do sprinting. So you have to, again, listen for specific colors while disregarding other things being called, which makes it a little bit tougher. Um, so those are my favorite, like sprinting and backpedaling, which are great for really most field court-based court sports, because you have to be able to sprint backpedal Again, whether it's reacting to a ball or uh, someone, uh, you know, a partner, whatever it might be. Um, you know, some of my other favorite ones that are more like partner-based, I love mirror drills. So mirror drills, you know, you and your partner face off. And your partner does either, there's so many things they could do. You know, sprinting, backpedaling, side shuffles, karaoke, you know, jumping jacks, whatever. They're doing something and that partner has to copy whatever they're doing. So very similar to like covering someone in defense or you know copying that person. You're watching someone move and following them and you're reacting to how they're moving. So there's a very active component and it's very similar to, again, most court and field-based sports. So, um, you know, again, I could go through so many different variations, but uh, hopefully you guys get a decent understanding of like, hey, like agility training has to be, you have to have good range of motion, good eccentric strength, and there has to be a reactive component to each exercise that you're doing to improve someone's agility. Um, so if you're not doing that, then I don't I know what else you're doing. So Robert, I had a question on those first two components, you know, the range of motion, the strength. You know, just for our listeners here, what would be an example of, you know, uh, an example of a range of motion, maybe limitation that you would want to, you know, clear up um, when we're talking about changing direction or accelerating or decelerating? Yeah, I mean, from a range of motion perspective, the biggest one is ankle dorsiflexion. Right. So if you don't have ankle dorsiflexion, good adequate dorsiflexion, um, it's going to be tough to um, have the knee come over the toe or achieve a shin angle uh, to be able to, to push off. So if you don't have good ankle dorsiflexion, you're going to see compensations. You're going to see knee valgus you're gonna see just a very like vertical tibia, which is like tough to plant and decelerate yourself with a vertical tibia. Um, so that would be the, the one thing I would look at from a range of motion perspective. And the strengthening component, mm -hmm. I mean, I love just adding eccentrics to like right. lunging. Love adding eccentrics to squatting, because those are that like dropping down to that like you know hip flex position uh, and controlling yourself down to that position. So like whether you're doing walking lunges with a three-second eccentric or, you know, a goblet squat or front squat with a five, six-second eccentric, you know, all of that builds that, like, eccentric strengthening um, to help learn to decelerate yourself. 
So, Rob, you talked a lot at the beginning um, about agility and the reactive nature of it. So what are, what are some thoughts on, or what are some implements you'll use besides verbal cues or visual cues? Are there certain implements you'll use, and, and how do you feel about the use of like agility ladders and, and some things like that that you see widely, um, widely used out there and put across as agility training exercises? So let's first tackle the agility ladder. Um, so the agility ladder to me is, let's, let's break it down. Most of the exercises done in the agility ladder are when the athlete's head is down and there's very little to no reactive component and the feet are always, for most of them, are underneath your center of mass. All three of those things are not what someone does and looks like when they're changing direction. So you're not training any quality to change direction when you're doing most typical agility ladder exercises due to those reasons. So you're not training agility. What you are training is pretty much warm up qualities. And I think that's a good point, Rob, because me and Nick were talking before we went on, on the mic that we like to just get in there and feel a little bit athletic and get right. a little warm up with some quick feet and trying out some different things. That's and pretty much it. Um, Getting your heart rate up, moving around a little bit. That's pretty much all you got into the agility ladder. I think, though, like agility ladders, I think your T drill, your three cone drill, your crossover drill, like in terms of from a PT perspective, yeah, there's no reaction component. But in teaching, well, first of all, in terms of establishing a foundation for that athlete to change direction, I think in PT and transitioning the athlete to Rob's programming, you know, that's an important step to take. And it also gives an opportunity where in terms of changing direction, yeah, you're going to work on that hip drop and that pivot, good shin angle, right, to get explosiveness. Um, and I think first you've got to have that without reactionary components before you try to put it in with reaction, right? And, and I agree because I'll change up tempos. Like if someone's doing like an icky, icky shuffle, like stick the outside leg outside of the ladder, stick it, hold it, and then get back into the ladder. So yeah. I think you can mess around with, with – you don't always have to go quick feet through those, but as you're bridging that gap, right, like you yeah. said, from – um, just gaining strength to now it's starting to integrate some load and explode and then getting to the reaction Rob's talking about like you can you don't have to always go quickly through the ladder you can mess around with tempos too to teach yeah. people to e eccentrically accept the load and kind of explode off of a solid base absolutely yeah. mm -hmm. I think it's valuable but it's not the you know it's not the end stage of agility training and, and I think in our in the rehab field it's a great way to test confidence um, you know gauge where someone an athlete is at from their ability to, to you know start looking at return to play coming off an injury yeah. um, so you know using it in that way is good but it's not the end-all be-all when we're talking agility that's where the reactive nature comes in yeah in terms of performance right. too right like in terms of what Rob's trying to achieve for his athletes yeah and then also I do think there I mean there's to a certain extent there's value in some of those from maybe like an objective standpoint when you're trying to evaluate you know what I mean that's you, what I was going to get into. It's yeah, like I mean, most most like there's two main agility tests. It's five ten five and a T test. Yeah, those are your main agility tests. None of them require reactive components. Um, you know, but they do require all those qualities that I talked about earlier. You know, um, so that I think that's interesting. It's like you know most of the predominant agility tests like require no reaction component. 
So why are they so valuable to you? Because I know you include the 510.5 in your evaluation. Like, what are you using that for? It's, it's a standard to test agility. And, I mean, do you see someone comes up with a reactive agility test that's out there, then I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, it's got to be part of, like, your cumulative program, too, yeah. when you are testing an athlete baseline compared to at the end of an eight-week. Yeah, it's, you know. just, it's just testing. It's, it's the standard for agility testing. I mean, but I'm not going to do a ton of that in training. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is there a carryover from, from like when so. you're training, like I you so. test five ten five the first day, then you're doing your reactive stuff, and then you're retesting five ten five eight weeks later. Yes, you are. Yeah, I mean, I don't do the five ten five in training, and most people's five ten five improves. So I think that shows that hey, like everything else that encompasses a full training program is going to improve your ability to change direction. The strength training, the lateral yeah. work, the yep. power training. Yep. Yeah, that's the other thing. The, power, the agility, too, is also very power-based. And, and a lot of athletes will say that coming in. And so you have to kind of pick in, like, when someone comes in for goals, hey, like, I want to get more explosive. Okay, like, what do you mean more explosive? And what's, what scenario of your sport do you want to be more explosive in? Oh, well, when, you know, I'm trying to make a juke. Oh, okay. That's yeah. agility. Yeah. Play and go. Right. So, which requires power. So, like, training power and agility are often, like, you have to kind of train both because, um, again, you have to be – I've been talking a lot about decelerating because I believe you have to be able to decelerate yourself, again, before you get into a ton of high-intensity power stuff. But that, 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 that push-off is, is important, and that's, that, that's power. So you got to be able to ex be explosive, and, and um, you know, that's an important, very important component to improving your ability to change direction. So, so would you say, um, similar to, to sprint mechanics, where you're trying to put maximum force into the ground in the least amount of time possible? Yes. But now it's just you're adding a multi-directional component Correct. so you can beat someone. Correct. And I think training multi-directional is really important. Training, I love like side shuffling. Like I'll do reactive side shuffles all the time on like points. Hey, react to my points. Side shuffle as fast as you can left or right. Right. Um, a lot of progression to that where um, the coach is moving but they're still reacting to the points right so I'll be moving left and right shuffling with them but they're looking at my hands shuffling still reacting to my points so it just adds another level of difficulty where they have to focus on and see something else but still be able to change direction on a high speed um, you know another one I really like is like called a hexagon drill where like the athlete stands in between six cones, right, six, yeah. Athlete stands in between six cones and the coach calls out random cones. And all the instruction is, is touch the cone, get back to the center as fast as you can. That's it. And you do that, they're moving directions, their hips are low, mm -hmm. they're getting shin angles, they're going forward, back, lateral, turning around. All the things that's happening in sports um, done in one exercise. So with an exercise like that, how much coaching of specific angles are you doing or are you just letting them find feel and just make themselves quicker through like an intrinsic learning process yeah i don't i don't usually do a ton of agility technique coaching i think athletes think too much and it slows them down unless like the only time i'll do some maybe technique coaching is on like side shuffling because a lot of kids like just side shuffle really poorly um you know, I think that can be improved a little bit. But for the most part, John, it's just like be reactive, be fast. And 
Um, let's get some repetitions in doing that. The other scenario where I might do a little bit of like technique coaching is if someone's transitioning from a side start to a sprint, which is very common in baseball. So you see like the side start mechanics changing direction to a, a sprint. Um, we'll do some different things to position them, you know, and to set up a little bit differently. Um, and maybe this is something we go over another day, but go over like, you know, drop steps or a, a forward step. So we'll do some different things to help that person go from a side start to a sprint. Um, but yeah, for the most part, most of my agility drills, I love doing like a lot of ball drop variations too, which again is just setting them up in the right position, making sure they're back and setup's good. As soon as, as, soon as, as, soon as they drop the ball, come pick it up. So you know, they have to react to a ball, which is very common in sports. You have basketball, lacrosse ball, baseball, you see something, you go and get it. Love it. Um, so that being said, you've been able to integrate certain games into warm-ups. Um, I've, I've seen it around many other gyms too, but you're, um, you've added a fun component to some warm-ups for kids that will sometimes become tournament-based um, with some competition at, um, before they get into their programs. And then we were talking about um, some, new, some, new, some new implements that you were, um, you're just looking into buying just to kind of further train and make you know, this reactive agility process more fun for some of the kids that you train. Yeah, so I love games because games are competitive, athletes are competitive, and when you have that atmosphere in that setting, um, that's going to get the most out of your agility training um, because they're not even thinking about training agility. They're just being competitive and they want to win. So scenarios that I like to do, spike ball obviously is a huge one that we do a lot here, um, and it's probably one of my favorite agility exercises. But it's a game, and it's fun. So athletes love it, and I love it because they get agility training out of it. Um, why? They, there's a ball. You have to hit the ball and react to the ball. It's all, it's all reactive agility. Spike ball is reactive agility. Um, and I love chase drills and flag. Like I was thinking about getting like flags to put around people's waist, like flag football pretty much, to do chase drills, to set people up in different positions and say, go get his flag, ready, go and they do sprints, they're changing direction, they're you know, reacting to each other, trying to get each other's flag. Um, it's a win-win. I agree, I think anytime you add that, um, and, and you know, through the later stages of the rehab process and then transitioning to performance, when you start to add a little bit of competition, especially for the populations we deal with, the competitive athletes, like it helps them stay involved, not lose a mindset, um, and helps them perform at a higher level. We all know that when we're training next to someone that pushes us a little bit, we all perform a little bit better because you never want to be this, the strongest, the fastest, the quickest in the room because then there's no one challenging you to get better, right? Rob, do you ever use the chicken like they do in Rocky? I don't. I don't have any chickens. John has chickens. And my son catches our quickest one, man. He loves it. He, like, he gets pissed off when I get it instead. It's crazy. Oh, man. He loves good. it. Um, so start him young. Get some chickens and just let him chase them. We're going to need a video of that. I'll pull one up sometime. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Training Room Talk. Um, again, if you like the content, please feel free to share. Um, if you have any questions, shoot us an email at jherting at thetrainingroompt.com, and we'll make sure to answer them on the podcast. Until next time, guys, thanks a lot.